Fertilizer costs are at record highs. And in this edition, we unpack how new farmers can cut costs and find alternatives for optimal production. Rabies is a preventable viral disease transmitted through the bite of a rabid animal. In our One Health campaign, we focus on rabies. You asked Vuyokazi Makapella, a director at AfriVet, answered. She focuses on the treatment protocols and the preventative measures. Now, although Ika Kronier grew up on a farm, she never expected her own journey would end up in agriculture. And now, five years later, she is establishing herself as a hydroponic farmer and wears the crown as our hashtag soil sister this week. She is one of the extraordinary women selected for the Koteva Woman Agripreneur 2022 program. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Davidzo Chizengeni, animal scientist and founder of KVD Livestock. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 138 of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. We kick off with that promise guide on how to cut fertilizer costs and the alternatives for optimal production. Nicole Ludolf chats to permaculture farmer Stephanie Mullins from a Western Cape-based NGO seed. Nicole, over to you. Thanks so much, Dawn. Now, Stephanie, we know that chemical fertilizers have become increasingly expensive, not to mention that they can be quite bad for the environment. How do natural fertilizers compare? It's important for many reasons, the most beneficial reasons for the soil and in turn our environment. It also benefits the individual. And why I say this is because when we are practicing non-organic methods, we're usually using chemicals and the person applying it is usually affected with their health. So that's the disadvantage of using traditional farming methods. It's also important because it stimulates better health in the individual and like I said, in the soil and its microorganisms. Natural fertilizers include a broad scope of elements. Can you please list some of these elements for us? What kind of matter can farmers and urban gardeners bring into their fertilizer programs? Elements is kind of a big answer and there's no hard and fast or quick rule about which element to use and which one is more beneficial than the other. It's more about what's around you. What do you have readily available or close to your proximity? More often than not, it will be more beneficial for your soil to use what's around instead of bringing other foreign materials in. But most natural matters can be used, such as your grass clippings, the weeds from your bed when you're weeding, when you're pruning, anything that's organic, which is green growing material can be used, broken down or turned into a tea to contribute to your fertility. You can also use your animal manures, So your chicken manure, your cow, your horses, etc. And there's many different methods you can use. Most people grow their fertility. And what I mean by that, that they grow specific plants for specific properties. And I elaborate more on which plants have which properties. But growing your fertility is a big one. All-purpose plants and ones that home gardeners love as well as medium to large-scale farmers is mostly your comfrey, stinging nettle, borage your yarrow and your legumes, which speaks to all the different nutrients that you need in your fertility schedule. Stephanie, what kind of natural fertilizers or composting systems are available for farmers and gardeners to try out? 
When you're thinking about fertility, you want to think about how do I grow the microorganisms in the soil? How do I improve the minerals and nutrients in the soil? Instead of thinking feeding your plant, you're thinking how do I feed my soil? Because this is the plant feeds off the things that's in the soil. So adding natural organic materials to your soils, when they break down, they release all their nutrients into the soil and they're readily available for your plants to use. And then there's just a couple of systems you can implement or use and think about. And this is for all scales. So worm farm is one of the most popular ones, specifically among households and small scale farmers. But I've also seen it used large scale and the outputs of a worm farm are so amazing. So number one, the urine is used to make it fertilizer tea and fed to the plants. Then also their poop is referred to as black gold and it's used in many different methods. So you can put it in your compost, you can make a tea with it and you can also mix it into your soil. I think compost is one of the like most amazing processes you can put any natural material through because it will break everything down and all that's left is the minerals and the nutrients that's good for the soil which is also good for the plants and with compost you can use all natural materials you just need to research and like i said before smaller scale farmers grow their fertility and those are all the plants i mentioned before and then building microorganisms in the soil so there's many ways to do it one way is not tilling your soil which is not really fertility but it's part of one of the instructions or the steps you take into growing organically so not disturbing the soil too much and then using methods like knf which is korean natural farming which is just fermentation of any organic material around your home it's basically just uses the material and sugar and then that ferments and it creates different bacteria and microorganisms and all that good stuff goes into your soil. There's also something called EMs, which is effective microorganisms, which boosts all those good microorganisms in your soil. Should you include certain types of fertilizers for the optimal growth of certain types of crops? Your choice of fertility will be determined by the scale of your farm. If you grow in big scale or small scale, it's more about what size is your area and what can you manage within that size. So farms are great for compost, whereas households, you can't really make a compost pile because you can't generate enough matter for a one meter squared by one meter high pile and that's the minimum requirement. So farms, I would recommend compost is your best friend. But when you're looking at the crops that you're growing, you're looking at what kind of crops are they? Do they make fruits? Are they leafy crops? Are they root crops? And then that will determine what kind of fertility you implement in your garden. And then there's different elements or nutrients that's used for different things within the plants. So you're thinking of your nitrogen, your phosphorus and your potassium. So nitrogen is mostly found in your leguminous plants like your peas, anything, most things with a pod. And then comfrey, which is like a multi-purpose good for the soil plant. Seaweed, also amazing. And stinging nettle. And then we have some potassium. Potassium is good for development of fruits. And then you'll find the nutrients you need for potassium in your borage, your yarrow, carrot leaf tops, and the clover that covers the ground. And then you're going to look at your phosphates. 
which help root growth. So your yarrow, once again, marigolds and mustard. And nitrogen contributes to the chlorophyll, which helps with the photosynthesis, which helps with the overall health and nutrition of the plant. Those plants that I mentioned before are called dynamic accumulators because they accumulate a lot of different minerals and nutrients for your soil. Do you have any alternative fertilizer tips or tricks for our farmers and gardeners? We start with what you have. There are so many natural methods to use. It's just finding the one that suits your schedule best, whether you are large scale or small scale as well. And really the natural way or organic way of farming is much more affordable than the so-called traditional way of farming because now you're not spending money on any fertilizers, you're not spending money on any pest control because along with your organic and natural fertilizers, you're also planting to manage and control your pests as well. Thanks, Nicole, and great having you here on Farmers Inside Track. Permaculture farmer Stephanie Mullins from the Western Cape-based NGO called Seed. Now, rabies is a preventable viral disease transmitted through the bite of a rabid animal. In our One Health campaign, we focus on rabies. Voyokazima Capella answers a few questions about how it can be prevented and some of the protocols when it comes to someone who has been infected. Voyo, it's been great getting to know you over the past few weeks. And we've learned so much from you with your experience in the agricultural sector, working in the animal health sector as part of our One Health campaign. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. And this week, we're focusing on rabies once again. Welcome back to Farmers Inside Track. It's such an honor and a privilege to be on your show today. And I, I am really, really humbled to be here. And hello to your listeners and yourself. There has been some recent reports of rabies outbreaks in the Western Cape. Now, is it true that urban areas should be on high alert throughout the entire country and that all provinces should promote vaccination against rabies? That is spot on. Rabies is endemic to South Africa. And there are wildlife occurring in all South African provinces. Unfortunately, this disease, not only is it prevalent in rural areas, but can break out in any area when people are not vaccinating their dogs and cats. And this was confirmed with the recent outbreaks in the Nelson Mandela Bay and with four dogs diagnosed positive in the greater Cape Town, where cases in dogs have been reported in recent years. It is currently suspected that the dog cases reported in the Western Cape may be reported from the Eastern Cape, but animals indeed are transported between provinces with ease. And as a result, a rapid animal incubating the disease can easily be moved to a previously unaffected area. And it is important to remember that rabies is regularly reported in wildlife in the Western province, but these cyclists can just as easily spill over to the dogs and cats population in more urban areas. So it's not a virus or even infection that happens in the, in the rural areas, but also in urban areas. Now, Vuyo, the treatment protocol seems a bit complicated. Should you have to wait to get post-exposure prophylaxis until it is confirmed that the animal in question has rabies? Or can you receive PEP immediately to avoid the possible virus from spreading? Post-exposure prophylaxis is essential. Please, people must not wait until tests confirm that the animal had rabies. There are instances where it took days or even weeks for rabies test results to be released. By that time, it might be too late for post-exposure treatment to be effective. 
You should never, ever wait. I think the basic things that you can do is what I mentioned in our interview earlier, that you wash the saliva contact or bite wound area, no matter how small. Even if you only see a drop of blood from the wound, thoroughly wash this with soap and water for at least 15 minutes and seek immediate medical assistance immediately. The medical practitioner will assess your risk and then continue with post-exposure vaccinations and possibly also immunoglobins, which is an antibody blood protein that is part of your immune system. Wound should not be sutured, which means it should not be stitched up as this could potentially distribute the virus in the area into nerves. So the immunoglobins are not always available at all medical facilities. If the medical practitioner assisting you needs more information, and this is not a disease they can deal with commonly, because if you recall, most of this is in the rural villages, they should immediately contact the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. And their number is 080-021-2552. for physicians to make sure that you and your family member receiving the correct treatment. So exposure to a rabies animal means being bitten, scratched, or licked by a dog or animal that is suspected to have rabies. Is the bite more worrisome than the lick, or are all forms of exposure more urgent than another? Don, I couldn't stress this enough. Any direct contact with a rabies-infected saliva through a lick, a bite, or even a scratch should be seen as serious. Scratches, bites, or even a lick from an animal needs to be treated as urgent. Due to the large quantities of saliva produced in rabid animals, the saliva can drip onto an infected animal's paws. And when it scratches you and breaks the skin, the virus in the saliva on their paws can infect the next victim. The virus in saliva can also penetrate the mucous membrane, for an example, your eyes. It is therefore vital that the medical attention is sought immediately not only for bites, but for any form of saliva contact involving a suspected rabbit animal. Thank you so much, Will. We've covered quite a bit of ground on rabies. Is there any final point you'd like to make or share when it comes to treatment and prevention before we let you go today? My one final comment is, please, I urge all companion animal owners to make sure that their animals are vaccinated. Thanks so much for joining us for your Kazima Capella, a director at AfriVet. Now, although Ika Kronier grew up on a farm, she never expected her own journey would end up in agriculture. And now, five years later, she is establishing herself as a hydroponic farmer and wears the crown as our hashtag soil sister this week. She's one of the amazing women selected for the Corteva Woman Agripreneur 2022 program. Now, this is a year-long blended development program at the Gordon Institute of Business Science Entrepreneurship Development Academy. Eka, as I mentioned in my introduction, you grew up on a farm but didn't actually think that you would end up in agriculture. Tell us about your farming journey. Where did it all start for you? I grew up on a farm up until the age of about 13. My mom farmed with avocados in Liverpool. We sold the farm when I was 13 years old and moved to town. So I have a bit of background in farming, very little. But, you know, growing up on a farm, you gain some experience subconsciously. After school, I worked with my husband in his company for a while. His father passed away when I was on my matric holiday. Even though we were only dating back then, 
he had to take over his father's company. So I moved in with him and tried to help him with that. 2018, one of our friends started farming with green peppers and he started, we went to visit a lot and he ordered too many plants. And I felt that it was such a waste for it just to throw it away because he wasn't able to plant it, he didn't have enough space. So on our family plot, there was a very old, like an indigenous nursery that my parents started. It was very run down and wasn't really being used all that much. So I decided that I'm just going to take those paper seedlings and I'm going to plant it in the nursery natals. We did that within two weeks. We got everything ready and planted. That's when I started farming. The year after that, I built a new natal, which was half a hectare, and planted papers in that as well. The year after that, I started developing the rest of the plot and doing tomatoes. Between seasons, I've done crop rotation. I've done beans and spinach and cabbage and mealy, even watermelon. I think we've planted just about everything. So I think it was beginning of last year, we started converting the entire farm to hydroponics because we've got very small planting space. Crop rotation is very difficult. With hydroponics, I mean, you can plant the same space over and over again. Now, I know from your fellow participants in this program that getting started is never easy. What are some of the challenges that you faced and also some of the factors that keeps you motivated to keep going? The most difficult thing then for me was the market, obviously, because packing and sending, that time we only supplied Jobber market because pepper price was very good at that time. So our first planting, we made a good profit and expecting the prices to stay stable for the next planting was a huge mistake because prices dropped incredibly and we had a huge loss on our second planting. So market accessibility was very difficult in that time because local supermarkets like Pick and Pay, Checkers, Woolies, they all buy from one major market. They don't buy from local suppliers. So eventually, after a while, we got in to supply Spark. So Spar, they use local suppliers. And I think that was our biggest client as from then. But the prices were still very low, which is one of the main reasons we also moved away from peppers and tomatoes because your input cost and your profitability, it doesn't make sense. I never realized how much of a passion I've had for farming until I actually started by luck. When you learn something very fast and time flies without you realizing, you know you love what you do. That's what keeps me going. And I think the same for my dad. And we love doing new things with like with the hydroponics, you know, trying some alternative ways of farming. And I've since learned a lot about biology. I've learned a lot about poisons and fertilizers and the whole kaboom that goes with farming. And also growing a product and using it in your house. You realize that someone else eating something in their home might actually come from your farm. Now we know that farmers and farming communities is all about giving back. How has your farm given back to your community? My dad was involved with a farming operation in Vuani, which is the village close to us. It was a Nepal funded operation, which they tried to set up 10 farmers with a yearly local grant and have them farms. So I was involved with that, trying to get them up and running and sustainable. Since then, after the project ended, we're still trying to help these farmers and we have a lot of guests over on the farm to come and see the operation and explain to them what we're doing so that they can also try and do this thing. So we've got one farmer who's just started the beginning of this year off our blueprint, you could say, with the hydroponics, started his own hydroponics farm. 
And then we also started with students from TVET colleges around us who needed to do their practical, and we've since employed three of those students. The deal with the students is that they work here until they feel that they've gained enough experience, and then they're going to start on their own. And then finally, what advice do you have for young women who aspire to farm? Ask the questions. Ask anyone you can. Use your contacts. At first, I was really afraid to ask for advice and ask people to just to see their farms and see how they operate. And I must say, 90% of the time, people would have gladly let me in and shared any information they could. It didn't really happen a lot that people would not offer advice or not allow you to come and look at their farm. Once you've made your mark and you've accepted that you are sometimes you're going to be overlooked, you just need to stand up and be strong and say that I'm the farmer, I know what I'm doing, and I would like your advice. People are usually very open to that. It's very little that I've found that they've actually set me aside and not willing to talk to me because I'm a woman. Thanks so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. That's Ika Kronia. She is a hydroponics farmer and this week's hashtag Soil Sister. Catch another Soil Sister again in our next edition. I must say, I'm really enjoying getting to know all these dynamic women in the agri-space. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring. And that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens, the CO.ZA, or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Davidso Chizengeni, animal scientist and founder of KVD Livestock, joins us now for our Farmer Tip of the Week, focused on some of the precautions and tips for new farmers that have to deal with load shedding. There was load shedding at the farm around 1 a.m. And you're there, there's no electricity, there's no circulation of water. So what happens in that kind of system that the water needs to circulate and uh, ammonia needs to be removed the moment the water does not circulate because of lack of electricity, you start having ammonia buildup. When ammonia buildup kills the fish, lack of oxygen, because the rippling of water which was being created by the pumps is no longer there. So there's no longer oxygen which is being produced. So what we had to do was you need a gravity tank. That's very, very important because the tank is still even to put water in another space or in another system with a little bit of pressure different from a tank which uses a booster pump to make sure that we open a pipe from the tank so that we put water in the system and then have a pipe also to remove water from the system. That's how we were able to save the fish. But it was a very disastrous event. Our generator was in service, so definitely we didn't have a generator which we normally use. So we had to find a way to fix the problem or find a solution so that we can be able to increase our oxygen but be able to remove excess water through another pipe that we remove the ammonia. And our farmer tip of the week from Davidzo Tijengeni, animal scientist and founder of KVD Livestock, brings us to the end of another exciting episode. Remember, I say this every week, but if you loved it, then please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and don't forget your fellow farmers. From me, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludolf, and our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team, have a great week, guys. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? 
we're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.